Good morning, church. Good morning, church. I think we've already had church. It's just so great to be in an environment where the exaltation of Jesus Christ is going on. Amen. Can we give that choir and Allison one more round of applause? However, you were cherishing him and adoring him. I know in the back there, I was just really, really grateful for the focus and the attention. And as always, just appreciate the exhortation, the exhortations, the different gifts that come from our body, the emphasis on prayer, uh, just so many great things happening in our fellowship. And Morgan and I are just continually grateful to be a part of this church family for the leaders that God has set in place here. I was encouraging Allison just to do her thing. You know, the most anointed you is you, right? The most anointed you is you and whatever you bring to the table I have ministered at so many conferences with well-known speakers, and I was the youngest guy by like about 40 years, and oftentimes they slate me on the Saturday night, the most attended, and I'm, I'm to this day scared to death. You know, I, I can't match them in theology, I can't match them in influence, I can't match them in experience, but what I can bring to the table is what God has given me, the anointing on my life. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in situations and circumstances where you're called on, just be you. Okay, five of you. I'm, I'm just <laughs> trying to break performance off of you and pressure and stress and worry. And All right. Well, this morning, I'd like to preach a message on transition. How many of you have ever been in transition? If you're not raising your hand, you're probably not a human being. <laughs> well, brother, what, what kind of transition do you, do you speak of? Well, I'm going to use some interchangeable terms here this morning. To me, transition could speak of process. Uh, transition could just speak of simply faith to faith, glory to glory. I personally believe I constantly live in transition. To me, transition is about following the Holy Spirit. But I do know that I'm also a pioneer as well. So those of you that know me better, you can laugh. But I'm typically the guy when the bills are paid and everything's good, I'm like, what's the problem here? Whereas I'm really at peace when everything's falling apart. So that's the pioneer in me. Well, before we talk about transition, uh, just as a way to segue into this message, would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 28, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And as you're turning there, I just want to let you know that Maranatha School of Ministry is continuing to um, just really uh, be a blessing, not only to our faculty, but to the students. We do have our once-a-month student-led chapel tonight at 6 p.m. over uh, in our chapel. It is open to the public. Uh, there is child care up to four years old. We would love to have our church family join us. Um, tonight we have Kenny and Mason that will be preaching. But you know, Kenny and Mason. 
And uh, we're just excited uh, to uh, just be able to facilitate what God is doing. And then uh, for those of you who also uh, want to take a plunge deeper, we do have 6 a.m. prayer every Monday morning in the chapel that is open to the public, more of an upper room. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Ask God for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Praying for President Trump. Uh, we'd love to have you there at 6 a.m. on Mondays. The students will be there. You're welcome, the public, to come. And then we'd love to have you tonight at 6 if you can make it. All right, Romans 8, verse 26. Father, thank you for this gathering today. Thank you that your name is lifted high and that every knee will bow. And Lord, we just take an opportunity to get into your word. Lord, thank you, Father, for the opportunity for your word to come alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've never been this way before. That is the last seven words of most dying churches and individuals. We've never been this way before. That is the last seven words of most dying individuals and churches. I believe that as we follow the Holy Spirit and His leading, we are going to be at many points, many intersections, many seasons of our lives where we're going to say, we've never been this way before. And I want to encourage us as a body to embrace rather than to resist. We've never been this way before. But what I know about God is this, if we do not trust Him, we will never worship Him and serve Him the way that He's worthy of. I observed the worship here this morning, and do you know that your worship was a direct reflection of how much you trust Him? To trust God is to know God. But why would I ever go this way before if I really do not trust that I have a good Father who loves me, who has my best interest in mind, and no matter in what season of life I'm in, His goal is the same for me in every season, that I might be conformed to the image and likeness of His Son, Jesus. Because it's easy to get lost in transition and process because we want to try to figure out the logistics and who, what, when, where, and, and why at the expense of understanding that in every transition and every wilderness and every process of life, He is after presenting His Son before Him, looking and acting and talking. He's after a bride that looks and acts and talks like His Son, Jesus. So that is the overarching, that is the eternal purpose that we're about to read. Whether you're in a horrible season or the best season of your life, the goal and the purpose is to look and act and talk like Him. 
But you'll never walk down that path if you don't trust Him. You'll never yield. You'll never submit. You'll never serve. You'll never leap out in faith. What am I trying to say? I'm saying He is the God of transition. But before we ask north, south, east, or west, our issue really does lie with Him. So Father, we say that You're trustworthy today. Not on my terms, your terms. Years ago, I ministered to an individual that had been to every supernatural school of ministry, every healing evangelist. The gentleman was paralyzed. He, there, I had never met anyone that had spent as much money and traveled as much seeking his own healing as this gentleman. The reason why he wanted to meet is he said he had given up on God. And as I sat and I heard his story, I began to confront him, not over his issues of healing, but over his issues with God. I said, brother, after all this time, if you're willing to give up on God because you weren't healed, your faith was not in God. Your faith was in your healing. Because I'll just trust God as long as my life works out the way I have it planned. I'll just love and trust God and worship Him as long as no one in my family gets cancer. I mean, He's good unless... And so we have all these different scenarios and all these different circumstances and all these different exit plans and all these different strategies of, Lord, I'll worship you, I'll serve you, I'll give my very best unless. What I would like to encourage us today is to remove the unless. That He is good that He is a Father, that He has our best interest in mind. And as we move into maturity, that should really no longer be up for discussion. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, Paul said. Height nor depth, angel nor demon, present nor the future, what if we could move even into a realm in our faith where we're no longer questioning whether He loves us or not based off of our circumstances? See, God loving you and God being pleased with you are two very different things. Good morning, church. A.W. <laughs> Tozer, he said, the most important thing about you is who you say God is. How do we win in the mundane in this generation? How do we stay rock solid 
when the charismatic euphoria wears off. We're no longer with the choir or the anointed preacher or the great move of God. How do we find victory in life that's full of transition? We put our hope and we put our faith in a God who is rock solid. We were going around our family room the other night before the kids went to bed. We always do, what's your high, what's your low, and what are you learning about God? And the kids went around, and then Morgan went, and then I went, and I told them my high and my low, and they said, well, what are you learning about God? And I said, what I'm learning about God is He has no highs and He has no lows. They said, what? He's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, in a world that's always changing. See, it's not about necessarily navigating your transition. It's about trusting the God of transition. If we know Him and we abide in Him, you will arrive to your destination. Romans 8, 26, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Oh, brother, I thought I was supposed to make a positive confession. Sorry, I think only Barry got that joke. Man, this is awkward. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to confess it. It's okay to put it on the table. It's okay to get vulnerable with yourself and with God. I am weak. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have to operate in pride or arrogance anymore, acting like I've got it going on when I really don't, and I'm terrified, and I'm scared, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Praise God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So let's just put the elephant in the room. Transition is difficult. Transition is painful. And again, we could list a hundred different transitions. How about transition from one kid to two, Brandon and Al? All right, some of us just forgot that difficult transition. I mean... Married life, single life to married life, state to state, job to job. I mean, so many transitions in our lives in the moment or the season of weakness. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. Why? We do not know 
how to pray. Is that what it says? Wow, man, God is just like tearing up spiritual pride. Brother, I know where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it. Let's just get together and get a plan and get it. Hey, I'm all about that, but I'm also about the Word of God. We do not know how to pray. Man, I'm just trying to set some people free this I mean. I mean, we get so worked up and we get so by God. First, step one, I am weak. Step two, I really honestly have no clue how to pray. But we know the Holy Spirit is here to help us in our weakness. And we know the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, we better get hooked up to the Holy Ghost. Now, you didn't hear me. You're, you're telling me that my, my livelihood, my joy, my hope, my peace is dependent upon me getting hooked up to the Holy Ghost and Him beginning to pray through me and in me because I just don't have words to articulate what's really happening in this season. This sounds so un-American. What do you mean, brother? I mean, we just, we got to have it all mapped out, planned out, order, structure, one, two, three. I mean, we just, again, I'm not preaching against that, but I am saying that there's a realm of human strength that offends our God and looks him in the face and tells him, I got this. I just think there should be supernatural joy that should hit believers in seasons of transition because they have no idea what's going on. Well, brother, but how could you say that? Do you know the Holy Spirit? The GPS of heaven? Sorry, Google. He's made us His dwelling place, His habitation. Listen, I might not have one through five, but I got the Holy Spirit. This is just so liberating. Parents, well, I don't know really what I'm doing, but I've got the Holy Spirit. And I promise as you walk with Him and talk with Him and groan with Him, you'll get it. You'll get there. You'll raise Him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You'll get there. But the moment you stop trusting, the moment you start uh, depending in your own strength and your own wisdom. In the, see, th- this is what the Lord has been just so making plain to me. You don't know what you're doing. For a moment, I think it's my wife, but it's really him. It just, it releases the pressure. We don't, we've never been this way before. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but he has. He knows. He understands. 
He searches the hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. But he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever maybe been aware that in a season that you were not praying according to the will of God? See, the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. In seasons of transition in the wilderness and the process, our ability to make it through. See, where I'm going with this is not everybody makes it through the wilderness. Not everybody gets to destiny. Thousands and thousands, God initiates a process and a transition, and they never step through the threshold, I believe, not because God didn't reveal one, two, three. At their core, they really never trusted Him. To trust God is to know God. Holy Spirit grown through me then in those seasons where I wake up in the middle of the night he's groaning through me Lord I want to be so yielded I want to not my will but yours be done Lord I don't know your will but you do Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. You turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 24. Hebrews is a great book outlining the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Him making a way, Him being the way. And we know here, Hebrews 7, 24, but he, speaking of Jesus, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. In other words, he can never be dethroned. You serve a God who could never be dethroned. He's undefeated. He's never lost a battle. That's the God I want to trust in a season of transition. Hence also, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He also lives to make intercession for them. Scholars have debated, I personally don't care which option you choose. Is Jesus really standing or seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you? I believe in some ways, yes. But some scholars believe this. It's not so much that He's in some prayerful, on-His-knees state praying but that His blood that He shed at Calvary is effectual and is eternal and is forever. His blood itself 
is making intercession for you. But I just know in those seasons of feeling lost and confused and left or right, straight or forward, if I know that I've got the Holy Spirit who is praying, who is asking me to trust, if I have a Christ the Son of the living God that's seated at the right hand of the Father praying for me. His blood speaks a better word. Lord, let that get down on the inside of my being that it might fight the doubt and the worry and the uncertainty and the accusation that will come from my own heart. God, you're not good. Because I thought. Because I believed. Because I had a plan and a strategy and it didn't work out the way I thought. And when it doesn't, I guess we just won't serve God anymore. Because life didn't go according to the plan. I don't know about you, but that, that, that ain't the path I'm going down. When I come before the Father, when I make my requests, when I make my petitions, when I bow my knee, I say, Father, when my ability to understand, when my ability to reason, when all of the law, when it runs out, Father, you know best. But if you don't believe that, Moaning, whining, complaining, accusation, doubt, unbelief, physical sickness galore that will afflict you. Do we believe this morning that Father knows best? I don't know. It's okay. I only hear ten of you. I mean, even just this revelation of father took me six years to really get like God is father and I remember that season of pulling over on the side of the highway listening to Jason Upton singing about God as a father and just getting totally wrecked and totally undone the fathers that I had in my life back then were up in my face this close, screaming and yelling, flying off the handle at any moment. God is Father. I mean, you want to talk about performance and walking on eggshells and, oh God, oh God, i got to fulfill your will. Oh God, I'm going to miss it. Oh God. And then I'm introduced to this Father who loves me because of his beloved son that has nothing to do with my performance? Oh my goodness. I was invited into this realm of trust that marked me in an intense season of transition in my life that was the most painful I've yet to be in. 
but it wasn't about asking who, what, when, where, and why, and how. It was about saying, Father, and this is some of the language that I was taught to pray by my own Father that may I just extend to you. Father, parent the orphan in me. What are you talking about, brother? I'm talking about that imposter that lives inside of you and me, that wants to go independent, that wants to rebel, that wants to throw a pity party, that wants to isolate, that wants to accuse. Father, parent that orphan in me that sticks a finger in your face like a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum and saying, God, I'm mad right now because I'm not getting my way. Parent that thing in me. Again, let's break the religious spirit off of us. We are weak. Just we all do we all we got it going on, right? <laughs> Things aren't really that bad. My marriage is failing. Things aren't really that bad. Snap out of it. God, you're good. You have good plans, good purposes, kind intentions. And when my ability, when I believed, and when I prayed and they died of cancer, God, you're still good. Because my faith is not in your ability to heal. My faith is in who you are. Jesus not turning stones into bread in the wilderness proved that he hungered more for God himself than miracles and provision. I mean, what if the only folks, what if it's just about the cross? Isn't that crazy, Wody? What if Christianity is just about the cross and Christ and him crucified and God doesn't owe me anything? And if the only thing he ever did was send his beloved son to die on the cross, Father, I forever worship you, honor you, adore you, will follow you all the days of my life, and I will no longer do the roller coaster Christianity. He loves me, he loves me not, good days and bad days. No, I have a father who loves me. He's good. It's called renewing your mind. Speaking the word over all things. Work together for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. All things like everything. I'm learning that God can even use the accusation of the devil for my good and His glory. There's nothing in life if I don't yield to him that he can't use for his glory. 
if the big eternal picture is looking and acting and talking like Him, if that's the eternal picture, I'm going to stop looking at many things in my life as a thorn in the flesh, and I'm going to start looking at many things in my life as His hand inviting me to bow my knee. Let me give you five things. Father, parent the orphan in us that doesn't trust, that thinks we can do it better. So what kind of posture does Jesus pray from for you and I? One, He prays out of understanding. He prays out of concern. He prays out of wisdom. He prays out of revelation. Are you ready? He prays out of seeing the end from the beginning. But Lord, please... If you'll just give me this right now. Yeah, but Lord, if you've seen the end from the beginning, I'll just take it from your right now. Our time frames are not his time frames. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. If we would abide and commune with the Holy Spirit and yield to Him, He really would lead us down the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Father, I need help trusting You. There are things in my life that have happened. There are thoughts that I think about You that I need You to uproot I need you to overthrow. I, I need you to get those out of my mind. He prays from the end to the beginning. He has seen all things. What if why is an invalid question that makes us an invalid Why, God? Why did they die? Why, God? And in the asking of the why, you know, there's a difference between questioning God and asking God questions. I hope you're hearing me. There's a difference between questioning God and asking God questions. What if why will never be answered in this life? Do we trust Him that much? When my ability to understand, when my ability to reason, 
I've been to the psychologist. I've been to the Buddhist. I've been to the pastor. I've been to the shrink. I, I, I've, I've received counsel from and even at the end of the day. What is faith really necessary for without problems in life? What really do we have to exercise if everything's just lined up like a robot? The deepest ache in my spirit for this generation is that we would confess that God is good no matter what happens in life. Because I see a generation who serves and worships God based on their circumstance and feelings. And I believe it's just simply shallow faith at best. I believe our gospel presentations primarily are full of lies. Because we convince people, come to Jesus Christ and you'll never have another problem again. Get born again and you're immune from sickness and disease. And we offer people all these package deals and we set them up for a run-in with life. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that people are not attending church because they're hurt by the church. I'm sorry. I don't believe people attend church because they can't find believers who will serve and worship God through the good or the bad. They're just used to being around fans, not followers. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No, but like I'm, I'm in, in. But it really is okay to put this stuff on the table. I, I think sometimes we hear these like if, if you pray these prayers like God, if it's your will, it's not a prayer of faith. Well, how does that Jesus Christ prayed, not my will, but yours be done? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I get what they're saying because I've studied it, I've heard it preached, I've asked questions. But listen, if you've got cancer, I'm going to pray with all the fire of my faith. We're going to fast, we're going to pray, but even if you die, God's still good. I refuse to blame him and condemn him because I'm upset and I don't understand. Whether God will heal or he'll not has never deterred my faith. Because I'm not in charge. I'm not God. I don't know the end from the beginning. But just because I'm not Him doesn't mean I can't operate in levels of faith and power. But at the end of the day, I just leave it at His door because He's the Father. I don't know who I'm helping today. All right, 10 more minutes. Turn to Genesis 3. I know it's getting late. Just, just give me 10 more minutes so I can actually say I talked about transition. <laughs> but as you've heard me the last 30 minutes, it's, it's transition. It's, it's going to come. Life's going to come. 
but it really is more about our perceptions of God, our revelation of who He is, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. If, if none of that is good, if none of that, we're going to have a real hard time in transition. So in Genesis chapter 3, the word of the Lord in verse 8 comes to the nation of Israel. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, Exodus 3 uh, verse 8. Did I get that right? I said, what did I say? All right, that was the orphan in me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Exodus, my apologies. In the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 8, there is a promise, a prophetic word, if you will, that begins to initiate a season of transition. Can I just help you for a minute? If I were to stand you up and give you a prophetic word, it doesn't fulfill anything, it just simply initiates it. I could stand you up and give you a prophetic word about the nations and stadiums. It just simply initiates a process or a transition or a wilderness. Just to try to save some of you some delusions of grandeur. The greater the promise, the more difficult the process. So you should really just be hoping for a very vague, general, inaccurate prophecy. Lord, just let them say that I'll pet rabbits the rest of my life and go hug trees. Praise God. I'm pretty sure the process of petting rabbits and hugging trees won't be that difficult. But we're all expecting, again, these major words of destiny. And we read social media, and you need it, you want it, you've got to have it, dream bigger. So, I mean, we just blow the door wide open. And here's Israel, and they they get this pretty major word. They're in Egypt, they're in slavery. God hears their cries, and you and I, it's like, God, hear my cry, brother. Man upstairs, father, whatever. I mean, just, Lord, I'm stuck. I'm ready for the new. I've prayed. I've sacrificed. Lord, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm just kind of, you know, speak, Lord. So he says milk and honey and all of these great and marvelous things. And then we find out in Deuteronomy 11, verse 10, God speaks about this promised land for the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came where you used to sow your seed and water with your feet like a vegetable garden but the land into which you are about to cross to possess it a land of hills and valleys drinks water from the rain of heaven a land for which the Lord your God cares The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. It shall come about if, can you say if? If you listen obediently to my commands which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that then, can you say then? 
Then he will give you rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, and for the sake of time, quite frankly, lots of other really good stuff. But I want us to think through this and understand this biblically, that the term promise land is nowhere in the Bible. It is a term that scholars came up with to describe the land of Canaan. Hear me. Most of the time, and I did this too in Sunday school and even in Bible college, I'm picturing Egypt is this place of slavery where there's no fruit, there's no crops, there's no harvest. And we, we forget you've got the Nile River there. You've basically got a land that's overgrown with lush vegetation, I mean, at their fingertips. But then the Lord says... I'm calling you to a land flowing with milk and honey in Exodus 3. But then in Deuteronomy, he starts to describe what it's like. He says, if you will love me with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, then I will... Because the then is, this is a land that drinks water from heaven. In other words, it's supernatural. But what I want you to picture is picture you're, you're in this jungle full of vegetation, okay? Everything you need, you're under slavery and oppression, okay? But you've got everything you need. And then the Lord says, go out to that desert, a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're kind of looking over there saying, uh, it looks like a desert. He's saying it's not like Egypt where literally they could sow seed with their toes. It was that fertile. The Lord speaks a word to you, He confirms it, and He initiates transition, but all of a sudden we don't really want to go. We don't want to be in agreement because it's not what we look like. It's not what we thought. It's not what we had planned. It's not what we prayed for. And here comes all our trust issues with God. Do you trust Him or do you not? And the entire prophecy is dependent upon their obedience. Well, brother, I just thought like you find a prophet on Facebook like tomorrow and they say 2020 breakthrough upgrades, cash, cars, houses, three wives. Just type amen and receive it. And that's pretty much how I'd sum up the prophetic these days. Just type amen. Name it, claim it, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, hallelujah. Brother, you, you don't have enough faith if... No, it's called a process. It's called the wilderness. It's called transition. It's called nothing ever worth having in life comes without a cost. But Lord, regardless of what I thought, 
regardless of what, Lord, even if it takes twists and turns, you say jump, you slow, my, out of my own ability to trust you as Father. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? It's another one of these scriptures that drives me crazy. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future. And we go check the bank account the next day because apparently all God is concerned about is like checks or like your credit score, Dave. Like I still don't know what that has to do with the prophetic. Brother, the Lord says your credit score is going to go up 30 points. I mean, what in the world? Lord, I thought, Lord, I planned, Lord, I believed, Lord, I prayed for, Lord, I hoped, Lord, I, I, I'm just, I'm, today, I'm just addressing, yeah, but what if not? What if not? Because the what if not is all the elephants in the room. All the pain, all the disappointment, all the unbelief, all the lack of... Some of us couldn't believe that even it was God speaking to us because we still can't figure out what happened the last time we thought He spoke. All right, so they're on this journey to get in the promised land. I'm winding down. Five more minutes. I'm winding down. They're on this journey to get in there. And we know that that journey should have taken a very small amount of time, like maybe 40 days. How long did it take them to get there? 40 years. It even says in the Word that God knew that they were not ready for war. So rather than send them straight across, He causes them to circle do we believe that the Father is so good that He knows what we're ready for and what we're not? Come on, just, just help me land the plane. This is where it gets so hard. But I'm ready, Lord. I have done the steps. I, the hardest thing to hear for a man or woman is, you're not ready. So, Father, I want to be so submitted to your will that even if I think I'm ready for a nation and you hand me a mop, I don't know who I'm talking to. Well, don't you know who I am? Don't you know the call? Yes, I do, son or daughter. You ain't ready yet. I would rather you serve me for 50 years than go slay Goliath, get famous, and cheat on your wife and lose your ministry. I mean, we, we could talk about a thousand different scenarios of we want it now. But Lord, the word was great, milk and honey and land overthrowing, and thank you, Lord, let's cash in and get there, baby. Sends in the spies, 12 of them. We know the Bible story, right? Sunday school. 10 of them, we know, brought back a bad report. Two of them bring back a good report. You know what the difference was, Q? The 10 of them went in trying to decide if they were going in. 
the two of them went going to discover when they were going in. The ten spies, the Lord, did he not say the... Well, I don't know, God. Can I just get like three more confirmations, 16 more prophetic words, 28 more fleeces? And we call that faith? I just need one more word. Brother, sometimes you're, 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 you think we're demonstrating faith and it's total disobedience. Well, I need a word for every season. No, you don't. You need your Bible. I don't have to have a word from God. Did you have a prophetic dream? No, brother, I did. you have a dream that you met your wife? No, brother, I didn't. Now, I mean, I had a, we dated and I had the dream that she already, you know, gave birth. So I kind of skipped the wedding. <laughs> that probably came out wrong. Praise the Lord. I am weak, Lord. Yes, we were married. Write, write this down and we'll close. Write, write this down. Laughter's good. We need to laugh. Write this down. Fear leads to rebellion. Faith leads to the occupation of the promises of God. Fear leads to rebellion. Faith leads to the occupation of the promises of God. When we're in our season of transition, no matter what kind of transition, be on the lookout for the spirit of fear and unbelief and worry and anxiety. It's rooted in an individual who does not trust the Father. Father, parent that orphan in me that wants to do it my way or the highway. Jack Frost One of the great father heart teachers used to preach, the orphan cannot be cast out of anyone. It can only be swallowed up in a deep encounter with the father's love. Father, I just, I want to have those kinds of love wrap your arms around me that even when I'm, why God? It just, his love silences everything that's raging in me, wanting to point my finger in God's face. I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful to even have an earthly dad. I, what, what, what has your father contributed to you, Jeremiah? I watched my father go through a divorce, go through mental illness, and never one time questioned whether God was good. I watched him lose a church. I watched him lose the anointing. I've watched him work 60, 70, 80 hours a week for 10 years, and he's never one time questioned whether God was good. Can I tell you what that did inside of me as a young person was to teach me pointing your finger in God's face is off limits. Whatever that you do in life, don't turn on God. 
I just can't imagine what might happen if a generation of mothers and fathers in the church rose who were rock solid. Let's believe, let's press, let's exercise, but at the end of the day, even if it doesn't turn out how we wanted or thought or shoulda, woulda, coulda, God, you're still good. You know, this song in the body of Christ, I raise a hallelujah, was written after a worship leader lost her child. Oh, well, brother, I'm not raising a hallelujah unless I'm my life set. Through the good and the bad, through sickness and disease, I do. To death do it, till I breathe my last breath, no matter what transition happens in my life. God, you're good. Will you stand with me? Al, would you come up if you couldn't? I just want to just give a brief opportunity today for us to not walk out of here, not at least asking God just to engage our hearts for a moment. I know at this church in the past, we press so hard to, to get us to this place of, of trust and on fire and revival and all that's great and wonderful. But might I suggest this morning that this might be a great opportunity for many of us in whatever kind of transition you're in to just simply say, God, actually, I'm weak. I don't understand. I do have questions. I am angry. I want to open up these altars just for a heart connection with Dad. And again, even if that Dad, the altar's open today. To just say, Father, help me to trust you. When I'm trying to get into the who, what, when, where, or why, I just parent this thing in me, Lord. If that's you, if you believe the message was for you today, would you come down to the altars now? just hear God saying, I want to revisit some miscarriages. I want to revisit some deaths in your family where you just thought it was the godly thing to do just to tense up and say, oh, praise God, and really you were dying inside. Father, we thank you for this morning. Jeremiah cried out in his day and said to the leaders in the church, you're addressing the wounds of the people superficially. You're saying peace, peace when there is no peace. God, I ask today in this generation, God, that our wounds and our hurts and our pains would not be treated superficially. 
God, we're asking for spaces and places and living rooms and divine appointments, God, where your people could have their hearts mended once again. That the confession of weakness would be rejoiced over rather than something to be shamed for. God, it's only in our weakness that your power is made perfect. Holy Spirit, we invite you now all over this room to minister to hearts. God, for those that are so hard that they literally can't even deal with it. God, we're asking right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd begin a thawing process 